0: Welcome to the German Marshall Fund's Out of Order podcast. I'm Laura Groenendal, Research and Projects Associate at the German Marshall Fund and your host this week. For this episode, we will turn to a small country located in the northwest of Europe. A country that is not only known for its tulips, troopwafels and canals, but also for its liberal policies, its push for economic austerity in Europe, and its traditional orientation to the U.S. On March 15th, 16th and 17th, Dutch citizens will decide the direction of future Dutch policy and elect the members of the House of Representatives. A lot is at stake. Amid the COVID-19 crisis, opposition to lockdown policies has started to emerge and this reached its peak during nationwide riots and looting in January. In addition to economic contraction and a looming economic crisis, the country also suffered from a social benefits scandal. Despite the scandal that forced Prime Minister Mark Rutte's government to step down earlier this year, Rutte's People's Party for Freedom and Democracy is leading in the polls with over 20% of the votes. The outcome of these elections will not only determine the composition of the next Dutch government, but also the role of the Netherlands in the EU and the transatlantic relationship. I am joined today by our guest speaker, Caroline de Gruyter, who is a European affairs correspondent for the leading Dutch newspaper NRC Handelsblad and a regular contributor to Carnegie Europe and foreign policy. Carolina was posted to Brussels twice and spent more than 20 years covering Europe. Welcome Carolina. So the upcoming elections in the Netherlands are characterized by some interesting trends. First of all there is of course the COVID-19 crisis that had a significant impact. Despite the protests and unrest in January, Prime Minister Mark Rutte is still profiting from a rally around the flag effect. We also see that the Dutch political landscape is highly fragmented. A record of 37 political parties take part in elections this time around. 15 parties are expected to gain seats in the House of Representatives. And a government coalition will likely be composed of three to four parties. Another new record is the number of female party leaders. This time around 10 out of 37 parties are led by women. And this is also highlighted the challenges that women face in Dutch politics and also some online cases of misogyny, in particular targeted against the leader of the Democrats, Sigrid Kaag. So how do these trends compare to political developments in other countries? Can we identify similar developments? Um, I think... Uh, the Dutch are uh, the uh, Dutch political scene
1: is is rather a trendsetter in in, in that respect. You see, but it's not for nothing that this. Uh, I think the 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 most important feature that we're seeing uh, is uh, fragmentation. Uh, so many parties, uh, all fishing in the same pond. <laughs> And I think the Netherlands is rather uh, ahead of other countries in Europe in this, in this respect. So much so that they even have a word for it, the Dutchification of policy, poli- politics, means like fragmentation of politics. You know, you have words like Lebanonization, uh, Balkanization, and now we have Dutchification. It's a peaceful uh, variety of, uh, of the other two in a way um but in many respects it's also following trends like you see uh, you, as you pointed out prime minister rutte is uh, far ahead i mean it's it's the rally around the flag effect is far ahead uh, of other parties uh, which is a new thing but you you see other center right leaders in europe uh, who sometimes lean over to the far right a bit, but also can easily work together with centrist parties like Angela Merkel or Sebastian Kurz in Austria, equally profiting from the same uh, respect and easily uh, coming out first. So it's a mixture of trend setting that the Dutch, in certain respects, are always good at, I think, and like to be good at, and um, you know, broader trends.
0: Yeah, one thing that really struck me was that the European Union is not a prominent topic in a mainstream political debate. Um, Looking at all the different programs of parties, um, actually the parties can be roughly divided in four categories when it comes to the EU. So first of all, there are of course the far right wing populist parties who argue for an exit. Um, The second category are parties that do not prefer an exit, but want to get more EU competences back to the national level, for instance through a treaty change. Parties who argue for this are comprised of the Socialist Party, but also 50 plus. Then the third category are those parties that are in favor of the current status quo um, and a division of competences between the EU and the national level, um, such as the Labour Party, Mercrede's Liberal Party and the Christian Democrats. And the last category um, consists of parties that argue for more EU competences, such as the Greens and the Democrats. Um, I think in I'm based in Brussels, and what really strikes me here is that the Netherlands are particularly known as the leader of the new Hanseatic League and its push for economic austerity. Um, However, according to Prime 2, Uh, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra, Dutch public debt is expected to exceed this year. The EU standard of 60% GDP as stipulated in the Stability and Growth Act. We also see on the the national uh, level that a lot of the other party leaders have criticized uh, Rutte's austerity policy, blaming the government for not investing in healthcare and exacerbating inequality. Um, So to what extent can we expect a shift from economic austerity and frugal policymaking? Look, there are two, two sides of that story. On the one hand, Rutte, whose party is
1: very, uh, you know, is a, is, a, is a slightly conservative, liberal, right-wing party, a middle-of-the-road right-wing, but liberal. On the one hand, he is contemplating or he's actually proposing a bigger state uh, to take care of the people, because that's what the people want these days. And not just against corona, but also against uh, cyber hacks, against uh, strange uh, investments by the Chinese or others in, 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 in uh, um, uh, strategical infrastructure and so on. So he's talking about big government on the one hand, which, which means spending. Huh? Uh, and on the other hand, in Europe... Uh, The Dutch have always played a role that they're, I mean, it's a bit like many other member states, you know, everybody wants to pay as little as possible into the common budget, the European budget, and to get as much out of it uh, in the forms of all kinds of subsidies, of course. And the Dutch are playing this uh, very shrewdly and they take, as as you said, with the Hanseatic uh, group of of other Nordic countries, some of whom don't even have the uh, the euro, uh, he's constantly um, criticizing uh, th- those people in the south. Sometimes they even phrase it like that uh, for not being frugal enough and and uh, um, uh, you know living on borrowed money and and, and things like that. So it's it's. I think in the whole of Europe, everybody is, is exceeding the budget because of Corona. It's an external factor and there's very little they can do about it. But the Dutch would like to return as quickly as possible to the uh, Stability and Growth Pact, uh, limiting uh, the national debts to 60% of, uh, of GDP. And uh, the budget deficit to 3% of of, of GDP. But most of the other countries in Europe are are not really in favor of that. So I think we will see a lot of jumping around again, up and down by the Dutch. Uh, They will get increasingly vocal about it, but I don't think they will get very far with it.
0: Yeah, so we briefly already discussed economic and monetary policy. Another priority for the Dutch government will be to submit its spending plan for the recovery and resilience facility to the, to the European Union. Of course, the challenge is that the Dutch government will have to form a coalition before the deadline of April 30th and will have to submit a spending plan that incorporates the country's specific re- recommendations issued by the European Council. What other priorities for the for EU policymaking can be expected to be high on a policy agenda of the incoming government? Well, it depends a bit what kind of a government it is. Many people assume, of course, that Rutte uh,
1: will win big. And but he might form a coalition with, with the same parties that, that we have now in the government. But what you can also see is other parties trying to form a coalition around him. Huh? Um so, but if we assume uh, he's he's pulling off the same the same trick as last time again, then um, I think that what the, the, I mean, the Dutch have, have uh, certain priorities. they are, you know, the internal market is, is very important for them and the development of it. Um, climate, uh, that kind of thing um, is very important for them too. Um, What you see, interestingly enough, is that, uh, as you said, uh, the EU is not being debated at all. This is not new. It it never has been debated. Um, I live in Norway, which is not an EU country, but but the prime minister here speaks about uh, the EU, you know, telling her people... Everything that is good for the EU is good for us. We're all Europeans and so on. And I have yet to hear the Dutch prime minister uh, utter these kind of words anyway. Um, because the Dutch always, with their heart, they are a little bit transatlantic. But they know in practice, you know, in real life, they are, they are on the continent. And as, especially since the UK is now has left the European Union, Um, Transatlantic, you know, Atlantis has also left the the continent. So they're always a little bit in a bind. And this is why it's easier for for Dutch politicians and always has been easier for Dutch politicians to just pretend Europe is not there uh, as a political issue. Because people will ask difficult questions. For instance, why don't you follow the UK? You know. It takes a long time for them to explain in all kinds of grey tones that we're not like the UK, we're participating in every single EU programme and even though people sometimes are really fed up with the EU, most of them are very happy to be in the EU, you know. So it's too complicated and they they leave it. But what you see is that the Dutch um, in Europe uh, have really... Changed their position since Brexit. Uh, And this started the day after the referendum in 2016. Because there are three influences in Europe, if you want. You have the the legalistic German approach, you have the etatistic French approach, and the liberal uh, British or Anglo Saxon approach. And this is why the Dutch were very happy with the UK in Europe, because it gave, it made this influence, liberal influence, stronger. And the same goes for the Danes and the Swedes, who became members after the Brits, uh, British. Now that they have left, the Dutch are feeling that this kind of, uh, you know, call it the um, a political culture of liberalism is not in, uh, strongly voiced enough in Europe. So, um, on certain aspects, um, they, they are not as big as the UK. They can make, the, they're just less powerful. So what they're doing, um, for instance, on, as we just discussed on, on financial and monetary issues, they, um, they behave in a very frugal way. Uh, they want the budget to go down, etc. Money, money, money. Uh, but in other aspects, they get closer to the Germans, and yet other aspects, they get closer to the French, which is really new. And the Dutch very much realize that if they want to push something in Brussels or uh, block something in Brussels, because that happens too. <laughs> Um, they they cannot just phone London anymore. And if London supports them, they're going to be fine. No, they need to work the phones in many capitals and try to form all kinds of alliances, depending on the issue. And um, so the Dutch approach, sometimes it looks like, you know, the most vocal and loud uh, approach and also the most derided, I would say, is the one on the euro and the European budget and and everything that comes to money, you know, yelling at the southerners and and and, and we are so good and we are so frugal. Um, but there's more under the sun nowadays which is which is a little bit less loud, but uh, all these new alliances and cooperation forms are actually the Dutch are very active in them too, and you will see whatever the government uh, is is, is wh- whichever government will be formed in the in the weeks or even months after the elections because i I think it can easily take months if you if you
0: have five four or five parties in the government um this approach will continue. Yeah, and one of the other players you already mentioned, um, the U.S., the transatlantic relationship. The Dutch have been traditionally very much oriented to the the U.S., Um, however, the the last four years under Trump were a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, If you look at the party programs, you see that several Dutch parties, such as the Democrats and the Labour Party, also argue for more European sovereignty. For instance, in the energy sector, the digital sector, but also argue for strengthening EU foreign policy. Um, and of course, although the election of Biden uh, is very much welcomed, his orientation will much be much more favorable towards Europe. Um, we still see that uh, many parties ranging from the Democrats to the Greens, the Labour Party to the Christian Union argue that the Netherlands uh, and the EU can no longer rely at all times on the US and that Europe should be more independent in the future. So how did the Netherlands navigate the last four years between on the one hand this idea of European strategic autonomy and on the other hand its interest regarding the transatlantic relationship and what could we expect from a new government? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um,
1: The the, the Netherlands is one of the most transatlantically oriented, I would say, countries currently in the EU, together with maybe Denmark. They're very uh, much oriented towards the United States and still the United Kingdom. Um, So when Trump uh, became president, uh, the Dutch were really shocked um, and but they they still try to to establish some kind of a working relationship with him. Huh? And Rutte even visited him and never said a bad word about Trump. Um, but for the Dutch, who had always had such a warm relationship with with Washington, really always, um, it was like it it was perceived like a cold shower hmm? when. Um, when they they understood that uh, Europe uh, didn't come in the first place anymore of of America's foreign policy and and Trump started punishing uh, member states and European projects and so on. Um, And I think now with Biden back in The Hague, everywhere uh, you hear uh, uh, sighs of relief, at the same time, the world has changed, you know, and I think the the, the Europeans, and that includes the Dutch, um, they have noticed that for America, Europe has no priority, even for Biden. I think the big priority for the Biden presidency is in, in Asia, not in Europe. Huh? um so they understand that it, it, and at the same time europe is surrounded they used to be surrounded by friends you know after uh, 89 1989 in any case when the war came down everybody became friendly and we thought everybody would become like us and you know many countries joined the eu and so on so we all forgot to spend uh, money on on on, on Defense and security. Now all these friends have turned into into um, well, it's a ring of fire, as somebody once said. Uh, we're not on good terms with Russia. We're not on good terms with Turkey. Uh, they're challenging us even militarily. We have a problem with all kinds of uh, groups coming from 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 the outside. So. Suddenly, there is talk about the French call it strategic autonomy. The Dutch wouldn't go that far, I think. Um, but they under, They do understand finally, and I think Trump has helped them uh, uh, along with Brexit to, uh, to accept the idea that maybe if an accident happens, the Americans will not be so happy to, to come to the rescue and that we better work on our own security. And this is new, and the Dutch are for it, too. They're playing part in all these uh, discussions, and it's a major shift. And I think Biden cannot change that. So uh, also on China, for instance, um, I think the Biden administration, uh, just like the Trump administration, is putting a lot of pressure on Europe um, to take sides. And Europe doesn't want to take sides, and that includes the Dutch. And there was a uh, at the Council of, of European Council on Foreign Relations, there was a very interesting poll uh, some weeks ago, uh, showing that most Europeans in I think they polled like ten or twelve member states of the EU including the Dutch, uh, prefer to stay out of that conflict altogether. Now if they, if they will manage to do that is, a, is another is another question. but they're certainly trying to and the Dutch are also trying to date. Um, I think we're, we're much more on, 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 uh, on the German path. Let's see uh, let's try to do business with the Chinese. Uh meanwhile, protecting ourselves and on the, 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 the bigger issues. I mean, if we really must choose, I think the choice is rather clear. That will be for the United States. But um, not just like that. We, we want to keep trying and talking and, and um, presumably doing business too.
0: And this includes, again, this includes the Dutch. Yeah, I agree. China will be a very big topic. Interestingly, last month, the Dutch parliament became the first European legislator to call China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims in Xi'an genocide. Um, Some commentators said that this move uh, was significant because this could be seen as an example of the Netherlands aligning its foreign policy position with the US. Do you see it that way as well? Um. I think the Chinese have understood by now,
1: you know, but the Chinese have put a lot of pressure on many European governments. Um, And the smallest country, in the smallest countries, they behaved uh, the harshest way, like Sweden, but also Switzerland, not an EU country, but, you know, half in, in a way, part of Europe. and they, and they got a lot of bad press for that. Um, the relationship with Sweden, but also the one with with Switzerland, for instance, is, is is really deteriorated between China. So they they start to understand that these countries will quickly turn to the United States instead. You know, they just don't want all this talk about about uh, uh, human rights and so on. Um, so far, as far as I can tell, uh, the Dutch have not come under, under such pressure as Sweden or, or Switzerland or some other countries have. I mean, there's also lots of problems in, 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 in the Czech Republic, for instance. So my feeling is, I can't prove it, but my feeling is that they like to keep squeezing the, squeezing the small ones. Huh? So the Dutch are a little bit spared, as are the very big ones like like Spain and France and and Germany, of course. Um, During the corona crisis, many European countries have frankly been totally disgusted with with the vaccine and and face mask uh, diplomacy that the the Chinese have uh, have, um, shown and conducted. Um, so I think the Chinese are going to be a little bit more careful and move will move in roundabout ways so we don't know actually what the Dutch are going to do what the push comes to the shove, and it and it hasn't come the push has not come to the shelf yet so it's it's hard to predict
0: yeah yeah another item you mentioned is of course brexit an absence of the UK in um, in the European Union of course the UK always had a special relationship with the US um but now after brexit the netherlands could potentially become one of the most vocal proponents of eu us alignment um so to say the gateway of the us into europe do you think that will be that will be likely I've,
1: i i don't believe so the, the 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 netherlands uh yes they're very transatlantic but i don't think they're very much in for these kind of things and they're not the uk you know <laughs> the uk came into the EU just because uh, they wanted to profit from the market. That was the only thing they were interested in. And for the US, this was really nice um, because they had a a mole in the system, in a way. Um, I don't think the, the, the Dutch are very willing to play that role of the mole in the system. And besides, even though sometimes, you know, when I grew up in the Netherlands, the only thing I learned about the European Union... Or then, European Community was that it was a market and it was good for Philips and Unilever. We like to talk like that, you know. But meanwhile, we're in the Euro, we're in in in, in the borderless uh, Schengen zone, we're we're just in the heart of everything. Huh? So I don't really. Um, we've seen during the Brexit negotiations that even probably the Dutch were saddest of all member states when the UK left. We were the harshest during the negotiations. The Dutch are really uh, doing everything to protect what we have. And there there are all kinds of discussions uh, inside the country about, you know, repatriating some uh, competences or, you know, we should do more this and, and less that. But the bigger picture so far, especially in a, in a more... Um, well, let me say, hostile, uh, mercantilistic world. Um, the, the Dutch inclination is more and more um, to be in Europe. So I don't believe I don't believe it will it will it will behave like that.
0: And that reminds me that during the negotiations about emergency funds, a lot of commentators in Europe said, "Oh, the Netherlands are becoming the new UK." That is not the case at all. No,
1: I don't think so. And it's only sometimes, you know, sometimes they're being very difficult. Uh, but it's only on financial and monetary issues. Many other uh, issues, they're very European, you know, they don't behave like the UK at all. And I must say, when I when I was covering the euro crisis and the financial crisis and, and all that from Brussels... Often, and in, 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 you know, ten years ago, the the UK was still part of the uh, part of the EU. They were just sitting there, and it was all about um, things that were happening to us and not to them. So they just sat there. Prime Minister Cameron would just sit there and not open his mouth at all. You know, he doesn't have the euro, so he didn't need to join all these discussions or fights or whatever on. Uh, on the rescue fund the euro rescue fund later with the uh, refugee crisis i mean he's not in schengen so it was not his problem either you know this kind of the 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 british really drifted away they they felt like it was other people's problems that were that they were always discussing well in the case of the dutch they're not drifting away they're in the heart of it you know they're part of everything so they actually Another poll indicated a couple of months ago that the Netherlands is the third most influential country uh, in the EU. So when you want something, let's say you're in Bratislava or in Lisbon or whatever, Stockholm, and you want something, your first calls, you know, to lobby for your plan would go first to Berlin, second to Paris, third to The Hague. But at the same time... No country is perceived as punching so much above its weight as the Netherlands. You know, so people resent it in, in other capitals, in other countries. They also resent it, but they have they have right. They have uh, they have a lot of power, a lot of influencing uh, power. Incontournable, as the French as the French would call it. You can't go around them, right? So it's a totally different role than, than, than the British have played. And you see it with, with all kinds of um, new alliances with Paris, with Madrid even. I mean, Dutch civil servants and ministers hardly ever would go to Madrid. I mean, what, do they go, what would they go to Madrid for? If you can call London and you, and, and you sail through uh, a lot of issues in Brussels, there's no need to go to Madrid or to Vienna. Now they're all over the place. It's very interesting. You don't see it so much, but let's say 80, 85% of the time, they're not behaving like like the UK at all
0: because it's not in their interest. I think that's a beautiful note to end up. The Dutch are not drifting away, but instead in the heart of Europe and punching above their weight. Thanks
1: for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is
0: produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon.